0: Welcome to the Catalyst Church Podcast. We're here up in Humboldt County, California. We're glad you're with us. We hope that you're blessed and that you find peace and grace in the word of God today. Hey, good morning everyone. Hi everybody. Good to be with you.
1: Definitely. Um, so we are gonna be in John chapter one again, since we've been in that for the last- Again? Of weeks. Again. <laughs> Um, and just wanted to kind of give you a heads up about where we've been. Uh, last week, you and I talked about um, about how God's grace is like a base note or that current. Oh, ah, yeah, the base
0: note. That was good.
1: Yeah, yeah. And we talked about like how important God's grace is in, uh, to the entire story of John's gospel, where he only talks about grace in this very beginning part of his gospel. And then the rest of the gospel is... Points to mm. what grace looks like in action. So grace is uh, the embodiment of Jesus Christ. It's uh, we can see how how grace, what grace smells like, and and what grace looks like, and and sounds like through the very beautiful picture that John writes about Jesus throughout mm. his entire gospel. The way Jesus mm. interacts with people, the way he eats with people, the way he includes people, and um, what is the word, how he restores them yeah, back good. to community. So grace looks like restoration. It looks like all things being made right in the mm-hmm. world. So that's kind of what we looked at last week, that underlying current, that base note that kind of keeps us tethered to what John wants the reader to understand within this first chapter all the way moving forward.
0: Yeah, we we really um, want, can't emphasize enough the, the base note concept. Um, yeah. And that's not to... Um, to rehash what you just said, but it is to, it is so important, um, to understand this grace and Mm -hmm. to seek it out constantly. Um, and we never fully arrive at it. Right. Yeah. But it's always there. And even when we don't know it's there, it's there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, You you gave this example of like grace, Grace is that, that God is with us, that God is near. You know, this whole thing of Advent is, is anticipating the nearness of God. And so we see that with grace. But the example that you gave was like how we find our way back. Grace is finding our way back to God who has been near us all along. Mm-hmm. And what was the example that you gave towards that? You talked about like a magnet and...
0: Oh. Yeah. Uh- like finding your way back, finding your way back. Yeah. yeah. Well, so when we, we did talk about the prodigal son briefly, yeah, um, and just that idea that the 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 son left. And it's not that the, the son never um, the grace of the father of the uh, never went away. That's it was right. always there, um, yeah. and the son cho- chose to sort of leave leave that and go, and then but the son was 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 was. Um, eager and hungry to return eventually to home and that's kind of what the base note is it's like you you, it's that returning to you're you're Mm -hmm. returning back to that place where you know you are fully loved and a beloved child of god and there's nothing that can take that away
1: yeah yeah that's really good So, So, the
0: base note's where we want to start, Mm -hmm. Um, and what we'd like to do is read through John chapter 1, and we're going to read 1 through 28 today, and this will be our last week in this particular part of the passage, and I was wondering if I could read it.
1: Sure, yeah. Yeah, uh, when you read, um, or when he reads it, just, you know, we've been reading this same passage, Mm. chunk of scripture, for the last number of weeks. Um, and today is the fourth Sunday of Advent. It is that, that Sunday of love. Uh, and so from that perspective of love, will you listen to these words as a prayer of love over you? Mm. Will you receive it as a gift of love written for you while well, Jason reads this? Yeah,
0: and see, see if you can pick up on the base note. <laughs> it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Children born, not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of husband's will, of, nor of husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one who you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. Mm. And the Lord had a blessing to his word.
1: Thanks be to God.
0: <clears throat> Thanks be to God. So there was this, um, this hike that, uh, Bethany and I and our kids and, uh, your mom, I think we're on, yeah, yeah. uh, we go to Mount Hermon every summer, um, which is this family camp that we get to go to. And, uh, last year, or not last year, year before last, we went on, uh, we got, we did a night hike and it's where they like take you out and there's no headlamps or anything. You're just, you kind of get in this group and it's pitch black and, um, and you gather in the, in the, and the guide says, you know, He's trying to, he tries to explain like, so look, you won't be able to see anything, um, but eventually your eyes might start, start to adjust a bit if some light comes here and there. And so we start walking down the trail and I kid you not, we just cannot see, can see anything, anything, like nothing at all, you know, and we're like all literally just shuffling <laughs> <laughs> and it's dusty, and there's just dirt going everywhere. our tree, kids are complaining tree branches tree branches
1: and and rocks everywhere
0: and, and it feels really unsafe, um but more or less you're not gonna like fall off a cliff or anything and um and you're you're just your senses become different, mm. right?
1: yeah um,
0: so you're paying attention to the voices in front of you. um you pay attention to the sounds, the shuffling of. Um, of your feet on the dirt, but then eventually your eyes begin to adjust just ever so slightly where it doesn't become pitch black.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, uh, your eyes have this sort of built in wiring, right. Where they, they, they want to find wherever there is light. It, it can't help, but your, you know, your pupils dilate and you get more light in. Mm-hmm and then you begin to see just a little more clearly and things don't look so dark.
1: Yeah, I mean if it was if if you see like if you're in a cave where it's completely dark where there is not an ounce of light, your eyes will never adjust to the darkness. Right. They'll they'll you'll never ever be able to see anything, but even the smallest spark will allow your eyes to see everything super clearly. We are our, our eyes. Our eyes are seeking out the light, and this explanation that John uses of like light shining in the darkness, and then you know John the author talks about John the Baptist, um, and he says in verse six there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. So everything that John the Baptist, or in in this gospel, the Gospel of John. John the Baptist is actually known as John the Witness, he's not actually known as John the Baptist. And so everything that John the Witness did was to point to Christ, to point to the light of Christ, to give people a new perspective, new ways of seeing what God was up to in the world. All things. All things, all things. And so what we see in this passage that we have today, which Jason just read, um, there was a, this is the testimony of John when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I'm not the Messiah. And then they asked, well, who are you? Are you Elijah? And he goes, no, I'm not. Are you a prophet? No, no. Finally, they said, well, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And john replied the words of isaiah the prophet so he didn't even speak out his own words to describe who he was he spoke up somebody else's words and he said okay this is who i am i am a voice i am a voice of one calling in the wilderness mm. make straight the way for the lord and then they all get like all bent out of shape they're like Whoa, wait, wait who gave you the authority to do this like who gave you the permission to do this like if you, why do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? The prophet is mentioned in Malachi. And he says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one that you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy Hmm. to untie. So this is like, this is a big deal because if, if you think about it, John, from the author's perspective, looks at John the Baptist, who we know as the Baptist, and never calls him that. He calls him the witness. And, and he, he also, I don't know if you've noticed this in this gospel, because so often when we read the Bible, if, if we're familiar with the Bible, we read other parts of other gospels into the reading that we're doing. We come with all these assumptions of things. If John's gospel was the only one that we ever read, we wouldn't have any background on John the witness. We wouldn't know that he- This
0: is what we would know.
1: Yeah, this is what we would know. It doesn't talk about his clothing. It doesn't talk about his behavior or about what he ate. And how often when we read about John the witness or John Mm -hmm. the Baptist, do our minds automatically go to his behavior and what he wore? That's what our minds go to. And I think the author of this gospel wants the reader to go straight to look at where John is pointing to. Mm. That our eyes don't rest on John and all these external things about him that are kind of interesting and quirky and funny, but look straight through John and onto Christ. John's entire mission was to point people to Jesus. Both Johns. Both Johns, both Johns. Yes, absolutely. Uh, And so he, he wanted to make sure that everybody could see that he was there to make straight the way of the Lord.
0: Now, so I have a slightly different perspective. I mean, and we have, you and I haven't talked about this a bunch, but, um, it's always fun. It's always fun. Right. (laughs) So, but just briefly, you know, we do know some other things about John, you know, and I don't want to just wash over. He was this like, you know, wild man out in the wild, out, out in the wilderness, but, but I think that piece of detail at least that we get in the other um, gospels and, and I know it's not in this one and I think you're right it's intentional yeah. that it's not there um, but God comes to this guy yeah like I mean think about the time period and the amount of kings and emperors and the thing the people that sort of reigned yeah. that had that had the voice yeah and yet here's this guy totally. In the wilderness, who says, says, I am the voice. Mm -hmm. I mean, the nerve, right? (laughs) I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. He is not holding anything back. He is like, the only thing that matters is that I am that voice. Yeah. Pointing to Jesus.
1: He knows his mission.
0: He knows his mission. And it's because he pays attention to the bass note.
1: Because mm, the like bass note is there, that's right,
0: and he's he recognizes it, and he's he can't help but just he can't help but be compelled to just say, "Oh my goodness, I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness." That's
1: right, that's right. So he's out there in the wilderness, this voice, and he's baptizing people mm. in the Jordan River, and the entire point of baptism, which we see here is not just a, like this sense of cleansing people from their sin, uh, especially from like the perspective of baptism from the Jewish perspective um, it was a way of like converting Gentiles to Judaism, but he was also baptizing Jews. So it was definitely something about like what what John wanted baptism to be was not just this ceremonial washing. Mm. it was something so much deeper than that. He wanted baptism to be something that points to the presence of God that reveals the nearness of God. That God was doing a new thing, not just uh, not just within the Gentiles who would convert to Judaism, but within Judaism itself. God was doing a new thing throughout the entire world, and John was there, like ushering it in, making a way for that new thing to come about. And so, people that were showing up, these Pharisees and these teachers of the law, and you know, people that were that that loved God and loved the law and had like the right, I think, had the right hearts. You know, oftentimes we demonize the Pharisees. They were people that loved God's law. Chances are Jesus would
0: have been a Pharisee.
1: I don't want to demonize the Pharisees, but I bet that a lot of them were thinking of Ezekiel uh, 36. And I want to read it to you because I feel like this gives us an idea of why John was baptizing in the river and why he was trying to do this to prepare the way for the Lord. Um, And so it says in verse hmm, 24, This is God talking, and God speaks through the prophet Ezekiel. He says, For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. So there's that baptism of cleansing that he's talking about, but then he goes deeper. He gets to that base note. He gets to that at grace upon grace. And he mm. says, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart, uh, from you, your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will be my people and I will be your God. Mm. That's the grace. That is that that note that beautiful picture of of God coming near of mm-hmm. God switching out our hearts of stone for a heart of flesh putting God's spirit in us and and declaring a new identity over us mm-hmm. who we are as God's people.
0: And we forget yeah. who we are, don't
1: we? Oh, absolutely. Every I mean. day. And so I, I you know, I, I see this passage out of Ezekiel. And I know that, you know, people were probably thinking about that passage. It wasn't something that they just, you know, blew over and everything. And it, may, it made me wonder, based on what we read in John, about John the witness, um, if he knew, if he knew who he was, if he knew his identity, because he knew his purpose. He knew his mission, obviously.
0: Yeah. He knew I mean, what he
1: was supposed to do.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure if he did. Do you think he did?
1: Well, I mean he gets I, asked three I, times. Yes, yeah, right? yeah. They're like, Are you know, are you the Messiah? He goes, I'm not the Messiah. Hmm. Are you Elijah? I'm not. Are you a prophet? No, who are you? And then he gives somebody else's words to, to declare who he is. It's not his own words, it's it's a prophet's words. So he knew what he was supposed to do and he knew his mission and he and he knew he was obedient to God and, hmm. and all of those sorts of things. But I don't know if he totally knew who he was, like who he was to God not just like a vessel to be used but where is that nearness of God that was happening like where was that intimacy and that friendship and that love that God had for for John yeah go ahead
0: no I just I I love that I love the question that he gets asked well who are you yeah like who are you I mean think about the question to yourself like Mm. who are you like who are you how do you answer that?
1: I think it's a question we should ask ask ourselves. And I want to pause for a moment. I want you to think about that for yourself. If somebody asked you, who are you? Not your role. Not, oh, I'm a wife or I'm a mom or I'm a whatever. Not your role. Who are you? How does God see you?
0: Hmm. Such a great question. Um, it's interesting, when you when you meet someone, um, most of the time the, the question that's asked is, what do you do? Yeah. It's not about who you are, it's about what you do. Yeah. But it's much different to ask, who are you?
1: Yeah. If nothing's coming up in the forefront of your mind, I encourage you to write it down. Maybe post it on your mirror next to your car, um, steering wheel like think about that ask God God how do you see me who do you see me as if, if, if Jesus was sitting right next to you what would he say about you mm. I know it'd be something beautiful and good but I think I, I think John mm. is wondering what it is and I and the thing that I see that um I feel like John is a little misguided in some ways. hes I think he's right on the money in some ways, absolutely, but also misguided. And I, I want to unpack that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, tell us
0: more. This is uh, good. <laughs> Bethany's questioning the scriptures.
1: <laughs> so it says in verse 27, Jesus is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. I threw Jesus in there. It says he, so I shouldn't say Jesus because I'm not sure if he knew exactly who it was anyway. But the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. The the way that it worked in the ancient Near East is that servants would uh, would carry the sandals of their masters, um, and they were responsible for their sandals, but never would they untie the sandals. It was like this uh, like no one was no one was that low. So John is saying that I'm not only a servant; I am below the servants when it comes to where I have am in this placement of of God and man. Mm. And I think that that is the right placement obviously god is way above us we are created by god god is everything god is our savior our lord he is our redeemer he Mm -hmm. like everything we are nothing compared to god's greatness. and i and i think that john is correct there but at the same time Mm -hmm. god created us loves us and forever perpetually from the i mean we see this in the beginning was the word the word was with god the word was god and he was with god in the beginning and then that word took on flesh and so in the beginning when god created god wanted to be in relationship with us this it's like god is constantly trying to come near us even putting flesh on even sliding into the vulnerability of skin to walk this earth as jesus christ God is forever drawing near, and we have the invitation to draw near to God, to draw near to God. And so, and so that this, go ahead.
0: No, I just sometimes think that it's not so much about us drawing near as it is about us being made more aware of God's already active presence. Yes,
1: but it definitely um, takes a. It's a, It's a choice. It's like yeah. it, it takes. It takes a decision.
0: Yeah, so you're saying yeah. you so you're saying John like John kind of had things out of order a bit.
1: No, I think he knew his place. Hmm. He knew his place, but I think his place wasn't wasn't where it's not where he w- should stay. And I, and I want to huh. kind of unpack that a little bit as well because I think You got me curious. <laughs> so I think John the author wants us to understand who we are from Jesus' perspective from the perspective of, of God who came near because the light has come into the world so that the world and we can see ourselves clearly, we can have the right perspective, our eyes can adjust to the darkness around us because a light has come in. And there's this new order of creation, there's this new heart that we read about mm-hmm. in Ezekiel, there's this new way of seeing the world as our eyes begin to adjust. There's a fundamental need for light and sometimes We have to adjust our eyes to see the light around us where it might even seem that light doesn't even exist. So I think John couldn't see at that point, even though he's seeing the light, he couldn't quite see what the light was pointing to. He was pointing to the light, but the the light was pointing something towards him and he wasn't quite able to see it. I think he didn't know how important and how valuable he was because God had declared him important and valuable and worthy. There was something that he wasn't able to receive for himself, it seemed. Later on in this gospel of John, John writes about Jesus with his disciples. And and, and he says that Jesus is talking to his disciples and Jesus says, You know what, you guys? You are my friends. You are my friends if you do what I command and we wonder like, oh gosh, what are the commands? That sounds sounds kind of weighty. But the command, he says, is my command is this, that you love one another as I have loved you. No greater love is this than is shown by the one who lays down their life for their friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. And we and we know what, that, I mean, Jesus lived that out. Not only did he call his disciples his friends, not only does he call us friend, but he laid down his life for us. And I think sometimes we we get this this idea that that we're like scum of the earth, that we are peons, that we are worms, that we are unworthy to untie Christ's sandals. But our primary identity Mm. is one of friend. And I know friend gets muddied through Facebook and all the people that try to follow you or you're following. But friend, when you think of your friends, think of the people you love so much. Think of your very best friend.
0: It's the people you can be most real with.
1: Absolutely. The
0: people you can share a laughter with, you can cry with, you can want to walk
1: with they won't reject you they won't scorn you they won't think that you're that you're a terrible person in some way or they'll be honest Uh, they'll they'll share deeply with like well this is you're right you did mess up there and i still love you and let's let's move forward from there
0: the person Mm -hmm. who you could sit in silence with yeah and just listen and just listen to the quiet
1: yeah that's right
0: who sees you Um, And all of your vulnerabilities, not as as less than, but whole.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The way you see me. That's right. That's right. Man, that's who Jesus sees us as. Hmm. A friend. And the beautiful thing about Advent, this season that we're in, I mean, we're almost there to the birth of Christ, that we get to celebrate that but Advent gives us space to recognize what is already true about us mm-hmm. and what is already tr- true about God. And we can begin to see God as the one who has come near, mm-hmm. that has always been coming near, will always draw near, and God has made us worthy to draw near. And it isn't from our own effort, it isn't from our own might, but it's from God who came, the word became flesh, and made his dwelling among us. That, that this God, that Jesus Christ lived with humanity, revealed his purposes to humanity, died for humanity, and rose again. And all of this is because God so loved the world. The base note. That's right. So may our eyes begin to accurately adjust to this truth. To this light that shines in the darkness. And may this truth become something that we truly believe. And may we always point to Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the light. And the life. Grace and peace. Amen.